Sometimes we feel paralyzed by fear and body hatred. In order to feel better about ourselves and live the life we really want to manifest, we have to own up to our difficult feelings and self-sabotaging thoughts and behaviors. We all enter this world naked, and now it's time to feel good naked. No matter what your body size or your life circumstances, this is Feel Good Naked Radio, and your host is Lar Redmond. On this program, Lar will help you become more embodied, self-empowered, and mindful to take charge of whom you really are and to live the life you deserve to live. Now, here's your host, Laura Redmond. Hello and welcome back to Feel Good Naked Radio. I am your host, Laura Redmond, and today we're talking about how to become your own best friend. Sounds easy, really complicated. And with that, we are going to open up the topic of self-compassion. One of the most important things about being embodied is self-compassion. And often I will say to you listeners out there, all of whom I adore and am grateful for, and thank you for your emails, that embodiment, embodiment is about a physical, mental, spiritual, and an emotional alignment. And with all of that, we must have self-compassion. Today, we're awesomely excited. We've got Christy Arbon today with us, and I want to tell you about her because she's really special. Christy is the founder and CEO of HeartWorks Training, supporting people in their practice of self-compassion, mindfulness, somatic awareness, shame resilience, and tapping into emergent self-wisdom. Christy is a social worker, a certified mindful self-compassion teacher, and the developer of the somatic self-compassion curriculum. She is passionate about supporting people in taking care of themselves and learning about old patterns of being that no longer serve them so that they can go out into the world and courageously do the important work they're called for. Christy was born in Australia and has lived in the United States for the last 10 years. Welcome to Feel Good Naked Radio, Christy. Oh, it's so lovely to be here, La. When I was researching your work and feeling your work and knowing who you are through your work, the word that just kept coming up was awesome. Like, here's, <laughs> there's a woman doing this work, living the message of self-compassion, but from all that I discovered, it sounded like you really didn't come into that awareness for yourself until about 2012, yeah, well, you know, I, I knew I was looking for something. I didn't really know what it was. I thought it was in meditation and mindfulness. I thought it was in fitness. It was when I discovered self-compassion. That's when I, I really felt like I had come home. Take us through that a little bit, because what struck me on your uh, website, and I'll read this because it will lead you to what I'm curious to learn more about, is that you said in 2012 you knew something was missing, as you just stated, and that because of a little voice inside of you that wouldn't let up, you went to your first mindful self-compassion course and that you wept the whole weekend for the many years of missing out on the love that you yearned for and that you were saying goodbye ultimately to a, 
familiar way of not being with yourself, which I think is so common for most people. So tell us more about that for yourself. What happened? Sure. Yeah. And and my story is as you as you alluded to, it's a common one. We 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 feel like there's something missing. We're not sure what it is. So um, I was working at a Buddhist retreat center in uh, in Massachusetts, and I worked there for five years. I was the manager there, um, very much into insight meditation, meditating. And every year on our schedule, we invited teachers in to teach about various aspects of Buddhism and, and well-being. Every year, this teacher would come up on the roster. His name was Christopher Germer, teaching mindful self-compassion. And every year I would think, ah, that sounds sort of interesting. Maybe I'll go. And every year for four years, I would find myself on a Friday night as the course was starting in the meditation hall about 30 seconds from my office. And I could have attended it for free as a staff member Every year, Friday night, I would be madly trying to get on top of my emails rather than going to a mindful self-compassion course. So this happened for, for four years, and I actually burnt out at that job. You would think working at a meditation center, at a Buddhist retreat center, would be pretty blissful. That's what I thought it was going to be. It turned out I brought all of my baggage with me, all of my striving, my inner manager, my inner critic, my perfectionism, all of these things came with me and I just brought them into a new environment. Admittedly a lovely environment, but I brought all of those with me. And so on the fifth year that Dr. Germer was teaching, um, I finally felt badly enough that I took myself across to that meditation hall I sat in the back of the class and I was thinking, yeah, I'll audit this class, this mindful self-compassion class. I'll just sit in the back and I'll just see what it's about. Sounds sort of interesting. I was trying to stay professional, but as you just mentioned, um, I wept the whole weekend as I, what was happening was uh, Dr. Germer, Chris, was talking out the front about being kind to oneself, about me being kind to myself, I started off uh, feeling angry. I got angry at what he was saying. Then I felt very confused. Why am I so angry at this very sweet man? Why am I angry at what he's inviting me to do? Then I started to realize I was feeling angry because he was asking me to do something I didn't think I had the capacity for. And when you're a perfectionist, when you're a manager type, an A-type personality, if someone says, I want you to do this, and you don't feel like you can, you feel like they're setting you up to fail. And so I felt that Chris was setting me up to fail. He was saying, be kind to yourself, give yourself a break, listen to what you need, soften into your body. And my system was saying, I cannot do this, I'm going to fail. And then the next thing, and this all happened in just a matter of minutes, the next thing that I felt was, oh my goodness, you don't think that you are capable of loving yourself. You don't think that you're able to give yourself compassion. 
And I started to actually get a glimpse of what compassion to myself might feel like, just just in that acknowledgement of you don't feel able to give yourself kindness. I got a little glimpse of what it felt like, the contrast between that and how I had treated myself for 40-odd years. That contrast was so painful to see. Oh, my goodness, I've been so mean, so critical of myself for so many years. And I started to feel like, oh, dear one, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that that's how you felt all this time. And so I sort of I sort of cracked open in a in a good way at that point. And yeah, from there on, I couldn't really turn back. It's a bit like the the movie The Matrix. Once you know the reality, you see the reality, you can't go back to being deluded. You can't go back to being that that unkind person that you were. That self-critic, you know. The self-critic, yeah. (laughs) There's so many things you just said that I want to stay with for a moment. And Mm. it's interesting because this last week I've been studying you, studying Dr. Kristen Neff's work, who was the first one to make me aware of the idea of self-compassion. And I started to just deeply think and meditate about the meaning of that word or words, self-compassion. And that's why I named the show uh, Becoming Your Own Best Friend, because I think when we are type A personalities, certainly as facilitators and guides in the world, which you and I both are, and I believe what happens is there's great compassion for other people, but the way you described then turning that on yourself was very clear to me how it it felt to me as you were saying it because I too had that one moment in my own journey going I'm great at giving this self-compassion to other people in fact as an empath and a highly sensitive person I often feel the pain as if it were my own but what about being my own best friend what about if I gave myself what I give to other people and I too noted a block there a a resistance there a um, hesitancy to wonder if that is something I don't already do and at that point in my journey it was not something I did but what you said that was so interesting for the listeners is that four years before you were sitting in the back of that room There was a little tap on your shoulder as you would read the description that was coming your way, but you weren't going to do it. It was not right, the timing. And so I mentioned that because that little tap that people often get, you might not pursue the knowledge behind the tap right away. It may be a few months or a few years, but don't ignore the tap I think that's beautifully said, La, absolutely. We we can really feel like, we can feel like we're failing if we don't make the absolutely best choice for ourselves in every moment. But I think that's a very um, dualistic, very black and white way of, of thinking about it. In reality, it's it's much more subtle, as you say. It's a little tap. It's a little voice. It's a little yearning inside that says, hey, there's something else, there's something different, there's something other than the habitual way that you've been doing this. And yeah, as you said, sometimes it takes us a a few 
weeks, months, years of hearing this little tap on the shoulder before we listen to it. And that's okay. It's yeah. that we eventually listen to it. That's the important piece. And I think a really powerful takeaway would be to just guide listeners to say to self, how can I help myself? And just by asking that question, how can I help myself? Often there is information that will come through with just that question that is the beginning of the journey of self-compassion and self-love. And, and I want to take the words and I want to ask you to talk about them because one thing I notice is that often self-compassion can be misinterpreted as self-centered um, or self-esteem. And so I would love for you to just, in a very simplistic way, explain the differences between self-compassion and self-centered or self-esteem. Sure. So you mentioned uh, Kristen Neff earlier. So Kristen, um, Kristen Neff is this amazing woman who um, is a pioneer in the research of self-compassion. And she actually developed the Mindful Self-Compassion program along with Christopher Germer, who was my first teacher in Mindful Self-Compassion. And so the three components of self-compassion that she identified in her research were self-compassion requires us to be mindful, to be aware of our experience. Secondly, it requires us to um, have a sense of kindness towards ourselves, as opposed to this inner criticism that many of us feel. And then the third component is a sense of common humanity. I'm not alone in my experience. Other people feel this way. And so when we're cultivating self-compassion, just with regard to the um, the misgiving that it might make us self-centered, we might that that is a common misgiving. I'll become selfish. I won't care about other people um, if I cultivate self-compassion. Self-compassion sees us in the context of common humanity, of our community. I'm not alone. I do rely on others. Other people have a similar experience to me. And so there is this sense of um, being with other people and being kind to myself will inevitably rely on me being in community, being in communication with other people because we're social beings. We need to be in communication, in community with other people. So I know that in order to be kind, to be compassionate to myself, I want to foster my place in my family, in my friendships, in my relationships. And so um, my sense of compassion towards myself extends out to everybody else, basically, um, knowing that I want to be a part of, of community. And the interesting thing is, and this is a, a common question that comes up, do I need to have self-compassion before I can be compassionate to others? Um, and I would say it really helps. It helps to have sustainable um, compassion towards others. Um, many of us are able to be compassionate towards others, but we'll burn out after a while if we're not tending to ourselves as well. So the way to have sustainable compassion to others is to keep filling up our own cup 
to keep nurturing our own reserves of compassion. And the interesting thing, when we cultivate self-compassion, when we understand we're not alone, we get a sense of kindness towards ourselves. It, it only makes sense to be kind to other people. It makes no sense at all to be mean to other people, to cut them out, uh, to not treat them with a similar level of compassion because we understand how important compassion is. We've internalised, we, you use the word embodiment, We've em, we embody that. It just doesn't make sense to be mean or exclude other people once we have a sense of self-compassion. Um, so, yeah, that, that misgiving that it'll make me selfish, it's not actually founded. The research actually shows that people with high levels of self-compassion are actually, um, they're considered better intimate partners, partly because when we're taking care of ourselves, we're not projecting onto our partner. Mm. When we make... When we make a mistake in a relationship and we know that the inner critic is not going to beat on us, um, we're, it's much easier to apologise to somebody else. It's hard to apologise when you're worried that your inner critic is going to beat you up. So, yeah, it's, it, it doesn't make us more. It's not the same as being self-centred, self-compassion, because it's a more holistic understanding of our place in community and we take more responsibility for our, our own actions uh, with self-compassion. And then the, the piece about self-esteem, self-esteem is not a problem, it's how we get to self-esteem. So self-esteem is, is a sense of our own worth, basically. The problem with self-esteem is that mostly in our, in our uh, modern culture, we get a sense of self-esteem by comparing ourselves to other people. So we all want to be above average. Statistically, it's, uh, it's impossible. We cannot all be above average. Like There's got to be an average. There's got to be people who are not, not doing so well and they've got to be people that are doing really well. So it's statistically not possible to be above average. So if we're, if we're placing our sense of self-esteem, our sense of self-worth, on being better than other people, it's going to fail us um, quite often, actually, <laughs> comparing ourselves to other people. Uh, much more sustainable, and I realise I've just used that word twice, sustainable, so self-compassion is sustainable, a much more sustainable way of cultivating a sense of self-worth is to have an inherent internal sense of self-worth where we're not comparing ourselves to other people. And this is what self-compassion does. It says I'm worthy of spending time with myself. I'm worthy of being kind to myself. I'm not alone in my experience. It internalizes all of these nurturing um, abilities that we're often able to give other people, um, but we, we might need to train in giving them to ourselves. So, yeah, that's as self-esteem is not the problem. It's the contingent self-esteem, comparing mm -hmm. ourselves to others. Well, one thing that I loved when I read this, and this is from the book of joy, which is the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu in conversation. It's an incredible book. And in this book, it says that the Buddha supposedly said, what is the one thing which when you possess you have all other virtues. 
It is compassion. And that struck me because what you're saying is so relevant in the world today, which is that I do believe we get thrown off course by the comparative mindset or the harsh critic, uh, the judgment, the things that if we are a type A personality, it's very easy to be extremely critical of self. And there is nothing about the criticism that one puts inward that isn't deeply destructive. It's it's awful, and it does not help that human being be more human. Yet we are so fast and quick to judge and to be harsh and to be contracted and to be mean and tight within ourselves. This can all happen silently. And so it really struck me to think about the gateway to all virtues being compassion and then turning that inward. I think that's a beautiful, a beautiful quote. And it makes so much sense. I haven't heard that quote before, but it makes sense that from a place of compassion, a place of self-compassion, and by the way, compassion to others and compassion to ourselves, it's the same thing. It's just the direction that we're sending it in, basically. So I think when um, when the Dalai Lama talks about compassion, he's assuming self-compassion as well. I know it's mm. not quite that way in the West, but he's assuming self-compassion because it's it's everybody. It's me, it's you, it's everybody. That's that's mm-hmm. how he's thinking about it. So from a place of self-compassion, we have so much strength because we know we can rely on ourselves. We know we can have confidence in what we say and what we do. Not confidence that we're right all the time, but confidence that we won't crumble if what we say or do is clumsy or not quite accurate or, or whatever it might be. You know, we we might look silly in front of other people. Um, self-compassion says it's okay if you look silly in front of other people or if you make a mistake because you, you've got that support. You've got that support structure for yourself in place. So, you know, it, when we feel supported, we can go on and achieve anything we want to, anything our heart desires. We can follow our bliss when we feel that support from self-compassion. Unleash creativity. We can really focus on a project and see it through to the end. Um, if we do have the inner critic come in, then you know we have some tools. If we've cultivated self-compassion, we have some tools to address that. Um, so yeah, with this with this resiliency, this sustainability, this foundation of self-compassion, we can go on and do anything else that we want to do, and all of those virtues that the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu are are talking about, Um, many of them require some courage, some fortitude, um, and all of that comes from a sense of self-compassion. I am my own best friend, my own best coach, my own best teacher. When you're carrying that round inside you, you're, you're unstoppable pretty much. Talk a little bit more about what you mean by courage in that particular thought process. What would be the courage needed to do that? 
Sure. So um, when I think about courage, I think about being able to hold true to our vision, our mission, and to not feel um, threatened by things like the inner critic. The inner critic, man, that inner critic, they've, they've got a lot to answer to. That, they'll come in and say, you can't do this. This is silly. No one cares about what you're saying or doing. You're going to make a fool of yourself. Your family won't like you. The inner critic says all of these things. Takes a huge amount of courage to stand up. Um, to to takes a huge amount of courage to to push through with much of our important work because people around us, you know, not everyone's going to agree with what we're doing. People who are close to us may not agree with what we're doing. So I guess that's the context within which I, I see courage. You know, anything really important in the world, not everyone's going to agree with you. You know, it's it's going to, there are going to be people who are going to be very outspoken in not agreeing with what you're doing and what you're saying for whatever reason. It's not bad that they're disagreeing. It's just that if it's worth doing, someone's going to stand up and say, that doesn't fit with my understanding of the world or my politics or, you know, whatever it might be. So anything that's worth doing, it's going to come up against um, some criticism, some pushback. This is where we need the courage and this is where self-compassion can help us to move on, even when there are external critics the internal critic doesn't pile on as well and tell us yeah they're all right what you're doing is stupid and you should just give up it does give us that sense of courage to move on hmm. how would that connect to if a listener was trying to figure out for example how to be more courageous uh, with that example where would you place boundary setting? Like, where do boundaries come into this idea of self-compassion, courage, um, being aligned and true to self? Hmm. So boundaries, this is, I think, I think learning about boundaries is, it's a basic, and when I, it's a basic skill if we if we knew how to set healthy boundaries for ourselves, it would help prevent a whole bunch of other things that 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 we're affected by, that we're challenged by in our life. The first step in setting boundaries is being in touch with our body and asking ourselves, what do I need? What's going on for me right now? How do I feel? What information am I getting from my body? Our body is just this amazing source of information. We think that our brain in our head is uh, the main source of our information. There's more information going from our body up into our brain than from our brain down into our body. Our gut is an amazing source of wisdom. Our heart, our viscera, information stored in our body. And so when we can listen to our body... It's not a skill that we're taught, really, as we're growing up. No one says, hey, let's spend uh, 20 minutes. I want you to just all listen to your body. Like, this is not taught in schools. But when we can listen to our body, ask ourselves, what do I need? And then our boundaries become apparent because that's what our boundaries are. It's about this is what I need and I'm going to express it in the outside world, in my relationships. And so self-compassion is it's 
one of the places we start with self-compassion is with mindfulness, which is becoming aware of how I'm feeling, what's going on in my experience, and from there asking that question, what do I need? So we could cultivate mindfulness awareness, listening to the body for a long time. Um, and just doing that is going to help us to uh, move into that place of setting boundaries. And then once we're clear about our boundaries, it helps us to go out and be courageous because I know that I'm not going to threaten my, my own boundaries even when other people are threatening them. And one of the, the most terrifying things is when we threaten our own boundaries. We don't hold our own boundaries. We give ourselves away to other people. We agree to things that we don't really want to do. You know, we do this all the time. If we can learn to stop doing this, set boundary, and even that takes courage. When you start saying no to people, like, no, I, I don't want to go out and have a coffee today. No, I don't want to go and see that movie tonight. That can be terrifying for people just to set those boundaries. So self-compassion can help us to do that. It's, it's a bit of a tricky transition to make that transition with the people around us to start setting those boundaries. And this is where kind communication comes in, explaining what we're doing. We don't just suddenly start setting boundaries with our loved ones. We explain, hey, I love you. And I want to be in authentic relationship with you. And what this means for me is I'm going to start experimenting with boundaries and setting more boundaries because I want to be closer to you. I don't want to be defending myself or wondering where my boundaries are. So, yeah, communication's the the key there. Did mm. I answer your question, Lark? Oh, so beautifully <laughs> said, Christy. In fact, I want to go back because I love for the listeners to have as much takeaway from these valuable hours as possible. And so I want to go back to say what you said, which is to be in touch with your body. And I said it a different way when I was saying to ask yourself, how can I help myself? And those two ideas live in your body. And so what Christy was saying that is so rich is that Oftentimes, we don't feel the message of the body, but it's there. And so if you can slow down, if you can take just a few moments to feel whatever you're feeling, the body is going to give you very strong guidance, very clear direction. And that's that first step towards self-compassion. So I really want everyone to get that because I think we live in such a chaotic world that there's so much that blocks the body's messaging. And and that's what we said earlier about that little tap. That little tap can be the body saying something really important. But if there's so much chaos in front of and behind and next to the tap, you may not hear it or it may be a whisper. But that's what Christy's talking about when when she says, in touch with your body. Because your body doesn't know lying. Your body can't lie. Your body is authentic, true. It doesn't have the ability to lie. It's going to give you extremely clear messaging. But you want to hear that messaging. And that, I believe, also connects to your idea of courage, would, would you agree that to hear it, because sometimes it's not comfortable what the body's going to tell you, 
And that that's also a block. Like you go, oh, nope, that must not be for me. That's for my neighbor. <laughs> no, that's for you. <laughs> I, I love what you said, La, just then about the, the body. The body can't lie. It is, it is impossible for the body to lie. And I would go further on to say our emotions can't lie. Our emotions are felt in our body. Emotions have a mental component and a physical component. And we may well have the physical component before we have the mental component, you know, the thoughts or the name of the emotion or whatever it might be. Emotions don't lie. Our body doesn't lie. What's happened in our culture is um, we've been taught to disregard our emotions. You know, we're told to get over it. Don't cry. Stop crying. You're too sensitive. Um, you should just push through. Um, get over it. You know, pull yourself together. All of these things that we're told, they're all saying, ignore your emotions. They're saying, we don't like your emotions. You should just stop having them, basically. So if we're given this message, you know, every minute of every waking day from the, you know, the pretty much the day that we're born, um, we're going to learn reasonably quickly, especially as our little baby brain is developing, we're going to learn it's not okay to have emotions. If it's not okay to have emotions, it's also not okay to listen to our body because that's where we feel our emotions um, most most obviously. And so this is something, you know, little kids, they have, they're much more in touch with their body we teach it out of them, basically. They, they unlearn connection with their body as they get older. What we're doing when we're trying to get back in touch with our body is we're trying to go back to how it was when we were a little kid, when we actually could feel things in, in our body, when emotions were spontaneous. We actually could have an emotion and express it straight away. And I'm not saying as adults we want to be going around spontaneously expressing emotion. We have a, you know, our brain has evolved so that we have a sense of, of some control, a sense of composure in social situations. But getting back in touch with the emotions in the body is, um, it's so empowering. So empowering to be in touch with them and to know that we're not, we're not controlled by them, but we are informed by them. I think people can get a little bit worried that their their emotions are going to take them to a place where they're out of control. It's not the case. Our brains have evolved to a pretty neat place where you can have your emotion and you can you can be very um, very skillful and upright and, and as I said not taken over by your by your emotion. So courage comes in because we know we can hold ourselves and our emotion skillfully even when tricky things are coming into our experience. I think about some of the amazing people who have gotten up and done uh, talks in public. No one, I, I don't know anyone that says, yeah, I love getting up and giving talks in public. You know, that makes me feel really good. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not at all nervous about that requires a huge amount of courage to get up and give one of these really amazing talks that people give. They do it because they they feel moved, they feel inspired, they're able to overcome their courage. They have a sense of a higher purpose, which is to get a message out, to encourage people, to motivate, to inspire people. And they get in touch with their courage. 
the way to get in touch with their courage is to understand what's going on in their body and to take care of their body as they're walking up onto that stage to do that terrifying speech. So there's a whole lot of things involved there. Cour- yeah, courage is, is one of them and tuning into the body is a, um, being able to take care of the body is one way to cultivate courage. And I think one of the, when you're speaking about that stage nervousness, I think for most of us, it's so comforting when that person will stand at that microphone and say, oh my God, I'm so nervous. Hold on. Let me take a breath. You know, like there's a vulnerable honesty that one can offer in that moment that makes everybody feel conjoined in the truth of that feeling. And that's reminding me of the courageous way to be devout towards your self-compassion is to speak what it is that you are feeling and that you know is true, even if your voice shakes or you have to say, hold it, I'm so nervous or I'm really scared to say this. But whatever may be that, you know, introduction to what is true for you is okay. And, And that person who's receiving the information will respect that honesty that comes with that experience. Absolutely. Some of the most, actually one of the other things that happened um, around about the same time that I was becoming introduced to self-compassion was I was also in touch with another woman, a, a, a leader of women, and she would stand up in front of a couple of hundred women at a course or at, a, at a, a, an event And she was so passionate, she would cry as she was speaking. And as I watched her cry as she was speaking, I was thinking, there is nothing more powerful and inspiring than a woman who can stand up and speak to a crowd through tears. She was totally unapologetic about the tears. They were coming from a place of inspiration and passion. And she knew that there was nothing wrong with her tears. She had the courage to follow through with her inspiration and her wanting to get the message out into the world that she felt was so important. And it was around women's empowerment, which is is one of the most important things in the world, I think, is to empower everybody, you know, not just women, but women could do with a little bit of empowerment, I think. So, yeah, that speaking through tears. And it was it was so inspirational for me to see her do that. I saw that it was okay to do that. And I remember soon after that, I stood up in a board meeting and I spoke through tears. And I actually said to the people at that meeting, and it was mostly men who were older than me, I said, I feel like there's nothing more powerful than a woman who can stand up and speak her mind to a group of people through tears. I was so inspired by her because I knew it came from a place of courage and vulnerability We wouldn't often think that courage and vulnerability go together, but they totally do go together. Courage and vulnerability, the courage to know that my vulnerability is a strength. It is okay to be vulnerable. Yes, yes. And that is just invaluable. So I want to stay right there. So we, we must, again, say the vulnerability part of all of this is so deeply courageous and worthwhile. And whether it's the tears or the shaking voice or the shaking hand, it's, it's, we're holding your hand virtually. 
Christy and I, as you take that step into that courageous voice that is only yours, that only you can know. And it's so hopeful and encouraging to think of people taking that one step in the self-empowerment movement that you must then learn the self-compassion part of that. And one way is this courageous vulnerability, which is just valuable, valuable, valuable. I want to know where shame sits in all of this, because I know you do a lot of work around shame and women's empowerment, boundary setting. Where is shame in this story? Wow, yeah, shame. (laughs) Where where do I start? (laughs) So shame... What shame says is, if people know this thing about me, they will no longer love me. If people know this thing about me, they will turn away, they will reject me, I will be kicked out from the tribe. And so this thing that we're worried about them knowing, it's, it's individual to each of us. There are, you know, there are a few themes around shame. And I know Brene, Brene Brown has listed a, a number of um, categories of areas where we feel shame. Things like body image. If people knew that I weighed 200 pounds, nobody would love me. If people knew that I had um, purged as a teenager, nobody would love me. So this is body image shame, parenting shame. Um, I mean, there's shame around all sorts of different things. But where shame and vulnerability and courage come in are we need to understand shame, the mechanics of shame. We need to understand that it's a very innocent emotion. It's about belonging, basically. If you have no sense of shame, um, you're basically a psychopath. We all have a sense of shame because shame cares about belonging. If you don't care about belonging, you don't feel shame. The only people who don't care about belonging are people who don't care about people. So you don't want to be one of those people. So it's a very human thing to feel shame. We all have that experience of shame. So just understanding that, which is sort of ironic because shame tells me no one's going to love you if they find this thing out about you reality of shame is we all experience it so you know those two things that don't really go together but shame is um it comes from a place of fight flight freeze from survival it's not about making sense it's about um, feeling i'm in danger shame makes us feel so bad because we actually do need to be in our social group in our tribe in order to survive So shame is as much a survival feature as um, being able to run really fast away from, you know, a tiger or, you know, being able to jump out of the way really quickly when a car is hurtling towards you, much more quickly than you would otherwise. Shame is as spontaneous and as strong a response as those things. Um, We have the same physical symptoms when we're in shame as when, you know, that car's hurtling towards us and we're, mm. we're um, rallying massive amounts of energy to jump out of the way. So, yeah, understanding that shame is a physiological response. There is nothing wrong with us when we feel shame. can be really hard to convince ourselves there's nothing wrong with you when you're feeling like there's so much wrong with you that people are not going to love you. 
it, it does take a lot of um, it takes a lot of work, I think, to um, get a handle on shame. The, the psychoeducation, the understanding the dynamics of shame is, is the first place to start. The next place really is about self-compassion. It's about being kind to yourself, not piling on with the inner critic when you're getting in, in touch with shame. We can criticize ourselves for feeling shame. It's like we're just we're just piling on extra stuff. So to to bring in our mindfulness then, to bring in our kindness towards ourselves, to name it, oh, I'm feeling shame right now to name it to somebody else. So another component of working with shame is empathy. So um, speaking our shame to somebody else who we know will be empathic towards what we're saying. So I, I speak my shame to, to dear friends or to my spouse. I say, I'm feeling some shame right now. I know it's safe to say that with them. We should only speak shame to people who we know are going to support us, basically. Who are safe, yeah. Who are safe, yeah, who have a, enough, who care about care enough about us and who have a, enough sense of being able to care for their own shame that they can hold ours. Because shame is contagious. If I tell you I'm feeling shame, you're probably going to start backing away because, you know, that stuff's contagious. <laughs> So, so um, yeah, the psychoeducation is the first piece. The self-compassion is the second piece. The understanding that I am not fatally flawed. People, the, my tribe is not going to kick me out if I say or do this thing necessarily. And if they do, here's the interesting piece, because I've, I've been kicked out of a tribe or two, I have to tell you, even when we do get kicked out of a tribe we know that it's not because we are wrong human beings there is not something inherently wrong about us we just have a different idea to the tribe or the main people in the tribe we needn't take that on as i am inherently bad or wrong self-compassion understanding about shame courage all of these things help us to to maintain that inner sense of self-worth. We talk about self-esteem, yeah, that inner sense of self-worth. So all of this, it's a pretty complex process actually working with shame, developing shame resilience. But all of this is how we do that, how we work towards a, a sense of, uh, of shame resilience. And as, as you could imagine, the picture that I'm painting there is of a person who is able to stand up in their own courage, stand in their own danger, as uh, Clarissa Pingala Estes would say, standing in our own danger and moving out into the world to do the really important work that we know we're called to do. We know it because we've tuned into our body and our body says, this, this is it, this is the thing, this is me, this is what I need, this is, you know, this is where I'm, I'm called to be in the world. Or we might feel it as a, as a spiritual calling. Um, but, yeah, being in touch with the body is important for that. Well, and I think when you speak about being kicked out of that tribe or community because of the fear that if I show my shame, I won't be welcomed. Honestly, if that tribe or community doesn't have space for the shame within all of us, each of us, that's not your tribe or community. That's such, it's such an important message, yeah. If our tribe kicks us out, um, and it's not as if, we, it's not as if these days, our, 
when our tribe kicks us out that we're going to die because there are so many tribes around. There are so many tribes these days. We're, you know, virtual tribes, groups in the community, um, 12-step programs, um, support groups, uh, women's circles, uh, go to something like, um, you know, a course at Omega or Kripalu or Esalen or Garrison Institute, any of these places, we can find our tribe in so many different places these days. We're so connected. So it's not like the old days where, you know, when you were living in the family unit and if the family kicked you out, you had nowhere to live, no way to feed yourself. It's not like that anymore. So yeah, we can afford to be we can afford to be vulnerable and authentic. And those two go pretty well together, being vulnerable and being authentic, because it usually takes a lot of courage to to say this is me authentically. Vulnerability to say this is me authentically. So yeah, as you say, if the tribe didn't like what you were doing and felt strongly about it enough to kick you out then it, it's it's not your tribe. Go and find your tribe or create your tribe. That's what I did. I went and created my tribe and, oh, my goodness, I can't tell you how amazing that is. Hmm. Yeah, that's it's interesting because I think that's also a great takeaway for people listening that if there's not the support around you that supports exactly who you are, there are other people, there are other tribes and communities that are there and maybe they're online. You know, it's not always going to be in the place that you live. Um, but you must know that they're out there. And that is great encouragement for someone who feels really alone right now. Yeah, yeah. And I want to, I think it's really important to point out that it doesn't make the tribe that kicked you out wrong. It just means there's a difference. There's a difference in beliefs or understandings or there's a way in which that tribe cannot support your authenticity. That That's what that means. So, you know, I, I don't want to get into any polarities. You know, there are so many different tribes and I wouldn't say any of them are necessarily right or wrong. Um, and something else that came to mind as you were speaking, I imagine you have a tribe. La. There are there mm-hmm. are people who listen to you, and that's a tribe that you've created, and that's a beautiful thing. It's online, it's accessible. So there are so many tribes, like the one you created, the one that I created. We just need to find the right tribe or create our own, as I said. Christy, I also want to mention to people that sometimes it can be your family of origin that is not your tribe. <laughs> Because I think for a lot of people, it's one thing to consider a social gathering or a social you know, community, but it's another thing to know that for many people, what they end up facing in the journey of self-compassion is that they are no longer comfortable within a tribe that is the family of origin. And I think that's such a large thing to um, face. But I just want you to say a few words about that for anyone out there that's thinking, but wait a minute, I don't have that support in my family. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the first thing is that is heartbreaking, really, just to name that. It's heartbreaking when your family of origin is not your heart tribe, really. You want to be able to believe that you can rely on them. Reality is we can't always rely on them. If we can, we could consider ourselves very fortunate, express a lot of gratitude to the fact that our our blood tribe is our heart tribe. Um, 
And so, you know, so many of us feel that, that our, our blood tribe is not our heart tribe. And I, I heard this described beautifully. I think it was by Dr. Estes. She said, you know, the stork was flying um, over your house, um, ready to drop this little bundle of joy into your house, into your family. And they dropped you a couple of houses too early. You were meant for that house, you know, two, two houses down, you know. Did Was the, the lady two houses down, you know, did you really resonate with her? And, you know, obviously this is just sort of a fun story. It's like, yeah, there is a lady <laughs> two houses down or in the next state or, you know, in the next, yeah, I really resonated with her. And Dr. Estes would say, she was the one you were meant to be dropped. You were meant to be dropped down her chimney. The stork just dropped you down the wrong chimney. So we just got to find the woman two houses down. Where is she? And what self-compassion can do is help us to maintain, if we want to, maintain a connection with our blood tribe. You can do that in, you know, a heartfelt way, um, finding your boundaries, um, exercising your boundaries in a very kind way, exercising courageous communication with your blood tribe you can still be sort of a part of your blood tribe maybe not in the way that you really want to be but self-compassion can say well you know not not everything works out exactly as we we want it to be I'm going to take care of myself I'm going to stop projecting my needs onto these people who clearly don't have the resources to give me what I need it's not their fault. It's not their fault they don't have the resources. They just don't have them. I'm yeah. going to go and find the people who do have the resources. I'm going to go and find that woman two houses down. I'm going to hang out with her now. Hmm. Yeah. Create my own meaning of family. Choose my family. Absolutely. Make that, make that mean something that is aligned with self. Christy, this conversation has felt so fast. There's so much I want to keep saying and talking about with you, um, but we're coming towards an end, and I want to be sure that listeners can find you. So if you could just give everyone a guide to working with you, learning about you, finding you, what would that be? Sure. So I have a website, um, christyarbon.com, one word, K R I S T Y. A-R-B-O-N.com. Um, and I do teaching, I do mentoring, so I have private clients, I do consulting, I help people create training programs, and I do some writing as well. I write every week and I send a, an article out to, to the HeartWorks tribe every week with an article about, uh, about self-compassion practice, about my experience. I'm very much into showing up in my experience as a way to let people they're not alone in their experience it's part of the way that I am in the HeartWorks tribe speaking about vulnerability and letting people know where you're at I'm a practitioner just as much as anybody else is self-compassion and mindfulness is is my training path as well as what I teach so yeah if you check into my website I'm on all the social media as well I run a lot of online courses because that makes this material accessible to more people so um, people can sign up for a course. And if there are any financial um, difficulties with attending a course, I'd really invite people to email me about that. I never want finances to get in the way of doing this work because this is such important work. This can't be about money. 
has to be about tribe and, and connection and helping each other. Mm, so beautifully said. And again, the greatest understanding of the true meaning of embodiment. And Christy, you are a pleasure to know. And you really do live the tagline of this show, which is that you complete you. Thank you, Christy. Oh, thank you so much, La. Take care, my love. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Feel Good Naked Radio with Laura Redmond. Please join us live again next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until our next show, be you and feel great in your own skin. 